Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on May the 8th, 2013. For newcomers, I always advise you look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and help yourself to the audios there for free download. I go through the system you're living in, how it came to be, how it's run, and the techniques are used to control you basically and give you your thoughts, your opinions, and so on. It's all basic science, but it's done on a massive scale today with uh, instant communication, standardized news, standardized television, and so on. It's very, very easy to apply, plus standardized education as well across the board. And we're all, we've all been subject to it. If you go back into even the, the founders of the educational systems in the U.S. and Britain and elsewhere, even the writings of John Dewey to talk about, we talked about the, the future citizen that they would create, the citizen who believed basically everything they were told to believe by uh, the government of the day. And that's already happened. And of course, um, those who hold power never gave it up, obviously. And if anything, they get more and more powerful as they use technology and the access to the highest technology above what we get given to us at the bottom. What we get at the bottom is obsolete stuff, even though they always tell us it's new. It's new to us. And we're, we're run by neuroscientists and psychologists and behaviorists and so on on a massive scale and marketers galore that work inside governments and every department that there is across the world to make sure they have the proper kind of citizen, compliant citizen, meek and mild, the good taxpayer and who's very obedient. And that's the whole point of the whole system as it stands right now. Now those who control it and set it all up, the ones who started it up with the foundations who set up a long time ago, a hundred years ago, are going to get the global society all standardized. It's almost here, actually. We get the same news across the world now, the same, whether it's real or fake or whatever, it doesn't matter if it's spun or propaganda, we all get the same stuff. And it's taught to us as actual fact. Of course, because down in, the, down in the history books is fact as well. So as I say, you can help me out as well on what I do here by exposing a lot of it and going through the history of it and where it's supposed to go by buying the books and discs at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. And from the US to Canada, don't forget, you can still use personal checks or international postal money orders, or you can send cash or use PayPal. And across the world, Western Union MoneyGram and PayPal. Straight the nations are seriously welcome as we go through the planned uh, inflation, which is devaluation of your currencies uh, as per the agenda. How else can they bring in austerity? Austerity, remember, was, was they said they'd bring that in long before they gave us the last bank crashes. And uh, how are we going to bring it in? You, you got to devalue the currency. And then I've said before, eventually all your, your extra pocket money will go to pay for utilities, bills, uh, essential things, not things that you might actually want, but things you'll absolutely need, including food as well. Everything used to be privatized, water, food, everything across the whole planet. It's already been done, actually, as we speak. And, and you're going to pay and pay and pay. This is the new world order, as they call it, the planned society, the controlled society, where those who already established themselves as the ultra-elite a hundred odd years ago uh, have their descendants running the show today. The, the international bankers, of course, set up the Royal Institute of International Affairs. They set out a hundred years ago to take over all the resources of the world. It's in their own books. Read them. 
and they run all the media across the world. All the big media boys uh, and the journalists and the editors and the owners all belong, are members to this one organization across every country on the planet. And they put in their prime ministers and presidents and their own historians, like Carl like Quigley, who was in charge of their archives for a long time with their, with their own version of history, the true version, uh, said that they've been responsible for all the major wars in the last hundred years because the wars are used to promote this world agenda. Countries don't give up their sovereignty until you bring about the world wars. They get them to their knees, financially and otherwise. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix and uh, I can remember when the bank, after the bank crashes, the last bank, cra- there's always bank crashes of course because they do it at least twice a century, in between you have many ones that happen and government's always bailing them out and so on, either are big international corporations are bailing out, it doesn't really matter, they're all owned by the same biggest banks anyway, even the big international corporations, including all the military industrial complex in fact. And I can remember the Federal Reserve chairman, I think it was Bernanke at the time, he said afterwards, talking about austerity and so on, and changing people's opinions of the, and life expectations of where they would go in the material world, with material goods and so on. And he said that, um, he said, well-being will be more important, gross well-being. And it just coincided with a, a launch from the United Nations and a whole bunch of countries across the world that signed into the agreements to push forth and have government funding for the, these organizations that go across the country promoting gross well-being. It's showing you how to be happy when you're poor, you see. That's what it really means. And even talked about, so even adding in uh, uh, happy pills, you know, from the psychiatrist and so on, if you're feeling unhappy because you're poor, and they just make you happy. Because under the Freudian idea, the whole point of, of life is to be happy. It doesn't matter about your circumstances. You could be a, a happy, bombed-out zombie as long as you're happy, you see, living in squalor. But anyway, that's the agenda, and I'm not kidding about that, gross well-being. And have uh, look, up, look it up yourself, and you'll see that uh, it's not GDP anymore, it's your gross well-being that's going to be important. And they really mean what they say. Sounds crazy, but they really mean it. And they can do it, too. Because you have all the cheap technology that they're throwing at you, and you have all these different grants thrown at universities too, by the big international bankers and so on, and the grants are given from the foundations that front for them, and they're all tracking everything that you do on the cheap toys and gimmicks that they hand out to you that you're addicted to. And here's an article right here on what I'm talking about. There's only one article or many articles on the same topic, because there's lots of cash going into this whole idea of cross-well-being. This is researchers at Cambridge University have developed an application that tries to track happiness by combining smartphone data with the user's perception of mood. It's called Emotion Sense. This is it. This is it. Collects information about where the users are, how noisy the environment is, and whom they are communicating, communicating with. You think it's just the CIA and the NSA that's watching you? No, they're giving all this data to these characters all over the place, all over the world. This is, it then combines this data with the user's own report about mood. 
The app is part of a project to see how mobile phones can be used to improve health and well-being. In other words, uh, they don't get prompts to what to eat and what not to eat and what to do, what to drink, what not to drink, etc. But also, too, they're going to track to see how your, your character is with your communications with other people. And your emotional status is mood tracking apps already exist, but the team from Cambridge Computer Laboratory think this is the first one that user input data and phone information sources have been combined. Most other attempts at software like this are coarse grained in terms of their view of what a feeling is, said Dr. Jason Renfro, a senior lecturer in the Department of Psychology at Cambridge University. Many just look at emotions in terms of feeling happy, sad, angry or neutral. The aim here is to use a more flexible approach to collect data that shows how moods vary between people is something which we think is quite unique to the system we've designed. When the app is opened for the first time, a sensor that tells the researchers what time of day it is is unlocked. Uh, the app spends roughly a week collecting data from the sensor and testing it against the user's emotional state, called a journey of discovery. Eh? At the end of this, the user is asked to complete a short life satisfaction survey, which unlocks a new sensor. And they'll do it, because they're all idiots, you know. Folk are so used to just dishing out information when they're asked to anybody, and you don't even know who's collecting all this stuff. It doesn't matter to most folk today. It takes about eight weeks to unlock all the sensors, which include gauging how sociable someone is, dependent on how many texts they send or calls they make, their movements, location, how much they are interacting with their mobile phones. It's designed as a journey of discovery for the user to give them a step-by-step guide to what might be influencing their mood swings, said lead researcher Dr. Neil Lathia. Now you think about it too. I guarantee these are the same characters that put out the memes on the internet. And that you all chat about. And uh, they'll have give you good news or give you bad news. Uh, when bad news hits the news and you all get it the same day because everyone's getting the same rubbish, uh, then they're going to see how it affects you as well, believe you me. And so it's just to understand how both a person perceives things and how they're actually behaving. So perception on what you're, of the input of data, how it affects you, how you perceive it as threatening or non-threatening, and then how you behave on that, you see. Will be, will be noted. So it's a therapeutic tool, you see. Therapeutic tool. They may say that they're feeling happy, but they may have stopped communicating with friends, for example. It's all about bridging a bridge between, or building a bridge between the two sources of data. It says it can input their feelings based on two criteria. It follows that allows it, uh, allows users to input their own data about how they're feeling. And it's been designed by psychologists, you know, the new specialists, the new priests, the high priests in white coats and all that. At different times of the day, the app sends the users notification asking them about their mood. They're asked to input their mood on an emotion grid that has two axes. The first charts negative to positive feelings, whether while another one charts activity. It's hoped the app can be used by doctors as a therapeutic tool, as well as by individuals to work out the times they are most stressed, for example. Now, you can imagine, you know government's involved in this, don't you? And those countries that have national health services, they're all involved in it too. And it's only a matter of time before you get knocks on the door. We're here to help you. We've noticed your mood is down, you know, etc., etc., etc. And, of course, that's where technology was all meant to go in the first place. It's right on track. And, of course, the folks will, they'll do it all. They'll, they'll fill in their charts and be happy and, and so on and so on. But they're so lonely in reality because they have no real friends. I mean, physical friends, they don't know, they don't know how to have a talk with someone face to face. The youngsters don't, 
They can't even look each other in the eye. They're like artistic children. That's how they look like. They don't look in the eye either. But they chat to thousands of their friends, all, all fake ones, and sock puppets. Mainly folk like this from researchers at universities. It's just astonishing what's happened, and they're unaware of it. They can see where it's all meant to go. And it's working. Now, this is the time of change, the century of change, of course, as they called it in university for the last 50 years. 21st century is a century where all the big communist plans for communizing the world on behalf of the fascists above that run communism uh, would be fulfilled. Uh, utter equality where we're, we're all flattened, almost flattened. Some will be more equal than others, but we're almost flattened down to the bottom, you see. And everything has to change. Any, any, anything you see, well, oh, that's wrong about so-and-so, or that's, that's wrong about this group or whatever, that'll be gone forever. You can be whatever you want to be, you see. And you better believe uh, it can be whatever they want to be, or you're going to be put in prison if you say, no, I don't think they are that. I think they're... It's like, it's like the man and the woman stuff. He's, he's turned into a, a woman, and you will say, no, he's still a man. Well, you're going to end up in prison one day for saying that, you see. And they're pushing it from the top down. It's not from the bottom up. Believe you me. But it says, a new dawn at ABC. Newsman becomes a newswoman. This is big news, you see. And it says... Uh, the top ABC News editor Don Ennis walked into his Manhattan office Friday in a little black dress and a brunette uh, bobbed wig and announced to colleagues that from now on he'd like to be known as Don. I mean, just like that, you see. The 49-year-old father of three cities splitting from his wife of 17 years to become a woman, or Don Stacy Ennis, as she is now known on her governmental records. Me, now, how can government change that? If, if, I don't think the guys had any operations or anything. And even then, you're not still, they didn't turn you into a woman. You know, you, you can make anything look like anything else with surgery, but it doesn't make them that other thing. But you've been told to call it the other thing, you see. Which means you're mad if you go along with it. You're disregarding logic. And that's what's where the future's all to go with all this kind of stuff, not just this. And it says, um, today I begin a new... Uh, and they keep saying she wrote on Facebook timeline, you see. Now, there's still a he... Right, and he claims so. So he claims that he was some teenage uh, ads guy. You know, the, the, those children on advertising and so on. He claims his mother fed him lots of estrogen stuff to keep him looking young and and with a high pitched voice before it broke and all that kind of stuff. That's what you blame us on it. But but he's just jumping on the bandwagon because unless you're something special this day, I guess you have no career at all. You ought to be in a special minority group, or you've had it. You see. So they ride the crest of the waves. Maybe once the wave's over, you'll go back to being a man again. Who knows? Or maybe there'll be something else you can turn into. I have no idea. As science progresses, as they call it. Anyway, as I say, when you, uh, someone t- asks you, t- you know, there's folk in psychiatry and, and psychiatric hospitals that really think they're Napoleons. And, and the reason they're in there is because they think they're Napoleon. And they'll demand that you bow down to them. Because he's an emperor, you see. And if you don't bow down to him, you get rather angry and so on. That's why he's in hospital. And, and yet, if you're being told by government to call them what they claim they're going to be. Do you understand what I'm saying here? It's illogical. So does government ordering you to be illogical? Insane? Think about it. Now we know that um, the whole list of the PNAC group 
there were, were countries to be taken down in the 1990s. They wrote it down in 92 and then 98 again. They did the same list again. And to do with all the countries in the Middle East they wanted to take down. And the PNAC group, of course, were they called the, the neocons, eventually in the Bush era. And folks should find out what the neocons actually were. It's an amazing history there. Anyway, uh, they also had Syria down there. Israel also asked the U.S. at the time, actually told them, he said, don't stop in Iraq, go right into Syria. Because they claimed that there was weapons there getting funneled to Palestinians from Syria at that time. And they were rather angry that the U.S. stopped where they were. But now, of course, they're pushing again for it. And the whole West is on board with the agenda. So the U.S. has given another $100 million more for the Syrian, what they call humanitarian aid, which, of course, is armaments. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, talking about the big crazy world. It's not so crazy, it's crazy like a fox, because everything's planned long before anything actually happens, including all the wars that we have. And of course they've been, they've been whacking Syria for a long time, because it must be taken out, obviously. And, um, and like Iraq too, when Bush said, well, Saddam had nothing to do with the 9-11 attacks, but he was just a bad man and the world's better off without him. And so this was an excuse to flatten and really bomb the country to the Stone Age, which is what they did. And it will stay like that forever. And the person Kissinger even said it too, it's much better long-term policy if you have them all fighting each other forever and ever. All different factions just keep arming them and keep them fighting forever. They're dysfunctional. You see. And that's the strategy, of course. Anyway, it says here that the U.S. Secretary of State, John Kerry, plans to announce on Thursday the U.S. will give an additional $100 million in humanitarian aid for those affected by the Syrian civil war. According to the U.S. State Department fact sheet, it will bring the total U.S. contribution for humanitarian assistance, this is what they call it, to $510 million for those suffering from the violence inside Syria. Well, why don't they just stop all the, all the rebels are funding and arming and, and tell them to get out of there? That would stop it. Of course, that's not the agenda, is it? Anyway, it says, as well as the estimated 1.4 million refugees in the region, the money will be divided up as follows, nearly $43 million for Jordan, $32 million for Lebanon, $9.5 million for Turkey, nearly $16 million to help those inside Syria. That's the, 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 the friends al-Qaeda. The U.S.'s friends, according to the fact sheet, says the U.S. recognizes significant um, strains on local populations and economic impacts of providing aid to refugees. By the way, uh, talking about economic impacts, uh, that was put in there. They get a puppet government ready in the U.S. See, they did the same thing with Iraq, you see, and other countries. And they put them in immediately. So they're puppets of the U.S. And they've got ones uh, already for Syria drawn up. And the, the U.S. is already, and Britain too, the European Union, in fact, has agreed with this, this puppet government. It's not even in Syria yet. They've signed a deal with them to start drilling for oil on, on the land they've taken over in Syria for al-Qaeda. Can you believe that, eh? And then once, once I've got it all, they'll say, this is the real legitimate government we'll put in there. Well, they're already doing the deal before they're even recognized as a government. And they're plundering them already. Not bad, eh? And do you know that BP got the big contract too? That's owned by, I think, Rothschild. No. 
And they sell an oil from Iraq to China at $2 a barrel. $2 a barrel. Not a bad deal, eh? Anyway, getting back to this article, it says, amongst other things, $100 million in aid will support the activities of the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. The, the United Nations Children's Fund, UNICEF, has been injecting them all with stuff that brings you down and cripples you, and United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestine Refugees in the Near East. So that country really is, this whole future is slated out for it before it even goes down. This is how they plan things. Humanitarian aid. As, they, as they're arming them to the teeth to, to get rid of the government there. And slaughtering folk. Also this article 2, it's called Chris Matthews and the MSNBC, the toilet bowl of broadcast journalism. And it goes through how the, the different news agencies stand up for the governments, often in bed with the governments in fact. Uh, and really they're just proxies for the government, for the propaganda departments. And it's quite a good article on how MSNBC uses race baiting. Anything Obama does, they'll try to say it's prejudice from the, the population because of his color, which has nothing to do with it at all. But of course they use that. And that's the, it goes through the techniques that Bill Ayers came out with of just divide and conquer the populations in order to rule them. And it's, it's quite an interesting little article on how it all is done. And of course, it's, I understand true. If you if you live in a country where all, you're all uh, crocodiles, everybody's a crocodile, and you've always had prime ministers or presidents who are crocodiles too. And if that crocodile starts eating you, the rest of the crocodiles try, try to get rid of them. Well, when you put in an alligator, you see, and that alligator is doing the same thing, you do the same thing with the alligator. It doesn't matter if it's an alligator or a crocodile. It's the same technique, you see. It's the facts that count. He's eating you, right? That's all that matters. But they use the race-baiting thing as much as they can through the propaganda departments. They use intelligence officers, psychological warfare officers, to do this kind of stuff and spin the articles out to the mainstream and newscasts that work with them to keep the people fighting each other at the bottom. Old technique. Also, this article too. It says a leading economist publisher calls Germany's subsidized solar industry a capital destroyer of historic dimensions. And it says here uh, that um, this particular um, a big, a big uh, economist, this character, he says his latest piece is titled, it's titled The Socialist Solar Disaster, German Solar Energy and the EEG Renewable Feed-In Act, once hailed as examples for the rest of the world to follow, are described by Weimar as a sure road to economic ruin. Any country or state leader considering following the path of Germany may want to contact Weimar first. It may save you billions. Over the past two years, dozens of German solar manufacturers have been shuttered. These are ones that are all subsidized by government, remember. In fact, funded by them totally, all of them. Among the big ones like Solon, Q-Cells, Solar, Millennium, and Conergy, recently an electrical engineer, giant Bosch, announced that his solar operations has lost 1 billion euros. This is, and also recently, Germany's solar leader, Solar World, reported it was on the brink of insolvency, drowning in billions of debts. Back with more after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. 
Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix, talking about Germany as an example of all the massive uh, government handouts to anybody who wants to start up off any kind of green energy system. Uh, a lot of them are common, I'm sure. They have no intentions of ever producing anything. It's just a thing that all the, the, the wise guys get right into right away, obviously. Uh, they smell it right away, and you get the money is thrown at you. Anyway, it says, it says here, that uh, the overall result under the bottom line for Germany, the German solar industry, despite all the massive subsidies, is devastation. And Weimar writes, this is more than 100 billion euros in solar power subsidies have been wasted. And not a single target of the transition to solar energy has been reached. A chain reaction of insolvencies and bankruptcies litters the landscape. More than 30,000 jobs have been lost. The German solar industry has in the meantime become a capital destroyer of historic dimensions. The existing solar socialism shows where this is all headed to a world of bankruptcies, rising electricity rates and panhandling uh, trips to Qatar. He says that subsidizing industries is a sure way to ruin them. In many fields of machine buying, Germany is a global leader, and it's precisely in the fields where billions of enforced payments are mobilized does one become a loser. The solar ruin did not happen despite the subsidies, but it was because of them. It was because of them. And it turned it into disaster. It's just easy money. They're going to try. You know, the agreements they sign doesn't have to say that they'll have to produce anything. So they don't. They don't bother. If they're private, they're going to have to do something and make it work. He says the very combination of eco-ideology and central planning methods that assured the collapse. The state robs the market of the possibility to develop cheaper and more competitive power generation. Instead, green bureaucrats decide what share each different type of energy is to have. Like in the five-year plans of the Soviets, quotas, targets and amounts are prescribed inside central ministries. This ecological central planning and its subsidy monopoly continuously erodes away the market price mechanisms. This is for readers who are interested in finding out more about the total failures of subsidized renewable energy. You'll find dozens of posts written over the past couple of years in the right sidebar under categories. And this is this article put tonight, uh, cutting through the matrix. Because uh, it's interesting to see that, that people are documenting all these collapses and the billions are wasted to the con men. Under, which really is a system, very much like the communist system, as the guy mentions all these government ministries of bureaucrats, the green bureaucrats. In the Soviet era, they called it the Lysenko affair, where this, this, um, this guy, a scientist, who came out and tried to force particular plants to, go and, to grow in, in sub-zero temperatures. He said they would force evolution, and Stalin loved the guy. And they made it law that everybody had to believe them. And they tried for years. And anybody who said it's not working was put in gulags. This is what you've got. It's come down to the same thing. It's the same thing we're seeing here, folks. Now, also, this one here is quite interesting, too. Because this is a massive movement of the far left, which is funded by the big international foundations, which fund all the NGOs. And the big international bankers at the top own the foundation. So they want all this stuff. International bankers love socialism because governments always borrow from them. And they borrow incredible interest rates to pay back. That's, why, that's how the big bankers live. Off the interest. Perpetual interest. You can't pay, ever pay it off. It's compounded so it can never be paid off. 
So it gives him total control over everything at the top of the banking system. Global warming alarms says continued cooling may jeopardize climate science and green energy funding. Now, we've just read where the, the green energy funding ends up. You see? So it says the past 70 years of flat global temperatures are creating a big chill for lots of global warming doom-premised industries. Those experiencing cold sweats must certainly include religions of climate scientists who have come to depend upon the many tens of billions of taxpayer bucks for studies that would have little demand without a big crisis for the public to worry about. And that amount pales in comparison with the hundreds of billions of dollars we spend on generous subsidies, lost tax revenues and inflated consumer costs for the otherwise non-competitive green energy industries which depend upon these scary climate reports. Scary climate reports. That's what they give you. Or the insane economic penalties imposed upon all segments through EPA's climate-premised regulatory rampage, it says. Cooler temperatures blow ill winds for government bureaucrats, crony capitalist rent seekers, and other hucksters whose ambitions depend upon hot air. Even Western Europe, the cradle of carbon caused climate craziness and cap and trade corruption, is feeling a cold draft. As Alistair Doyle, reporting from Reuters in Oslo, recently observed, weak economic growth and the pause in warming is undermining government's willingness to make a rapid billion-dollar shift from fossil fuels. Almost 200 governments have agreed to work out a plan by the end of 2015 to combat global warming, which isn't there. (laughs) You think you're living in a sane society? It's not crazy. It's crazy like a fox. Crazy like a fox, folks. That's what it's all about. Anyway, it says that in April, the Parliament in Strasbourg voted against artificially propping up the price of emission trading system carbon permit prices following the collapse of energy demand in, in connection with the continent's economic crisis. While the low price of carbon allowances is great for energy customers, you can be assured that it is viewed very differently by so-called renewable energy and carbon credit trading promoters who depend upon higher-than-market fossil uh, fuel prices to stay in business. The Parliament's Peter reflects encouraging recognition that unwarranted economy-ravaging carbon rationing is a feverish folly. And ain't that the truth, though? You know, we're run by gangsters, folks. Uh, and believe me, the gangsters don't care. The psychopathic gangsters don't care what party is on the ascendancy. Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll sniff the wind to see where the winner is going to be for a while. And when the winner starts to lose, they jump ships quite, quite quickly and make sure that they're, they're taken over uh, and looked after very well by the next bunch. It's an old, old system. And I think it's, you'll always have that in politics. The psychopaths gravitate towards politics. The big corporations lobby governments to get money all the time, too, remember. Because they don't bother raising cash for big projects now. They go to government to get your cash, the taxpayers' cash, to build their big projects. For them. And we call this democracy. What a joke, eh? And this one here too, it says, it's quite good, it's called um, the Bill McGibbon fire season, season hype extinguished with inconvenient data. The problem with emotional people like Bill McKibben is that they seldom delve beyond headlines and live in a world of imaginary constructs that fit their expectation. In this case, McGibbon cites an LA Times story as scientific proof of a worsening early fire season in California. 
Problem is, the real world data doesn't even come close to supporting it. Says the LA Times fire season three months earlier this year in line with scientific predictions. And I've got the links of the original story. It says, here's what the LA Times says. It says, this is sort of scenario that climate scientists have been warning us about for decades. Off-kilter weather patterns, increasing dryness in Southern California, and with it added fire risk. Where not last week's uh, confluence of perch, or parched hills, hot days, fast winds, was caused by climate change, the dryness of the vegetation points to a wildfire threat that won't wait for the usual Southern Californian procrastination over thinning plants. It says, but gosh, the National Interagency Fire Center data, the guys who keep the actual data on fire, says we're at a 10-year low for fires, as opposed to this last article, you see. So far, not so far, not only for the number of fires, but also for the acreage. So it's not what it was hi- highlighted in yellow and compared to previous years, as well as the 10-year average at the bottom. I'll put this link up tonight too from What's Up with That. You understand how they throw out these things like facts in the mainstream, and you have to check every one of them for yourselves because there's political, social agendas behind them all, and they love to lie. And remember, too, all the big boys from all these countless green movements are all financed to the hilt by your tax money and by the big foundation grants. Live very well on creating massive fear amongst the populations. And they say themselves, and I've put the list out so many times from the top players, is we always give the public scary scenarios, scary scenarios, to make them frightened so that they'll listen to our, our demands. So there's one there, a scary scenario talking about brush fires out of control, it's early, blah, blah, blah. But the National Interagency Fire Centre data says we're at a 10-year low. There you go. And also, too, David Cameron says, good day for the EU referendum pledge. He says, said that Lord Lawson's call for the UK to leave the European Union has drawn attention to his pledge to hold a referendum on EU membership after the general election. Well, the guy's a liar because he's lied umpteen times about the same thing. You know, he says he'll hold a vote early in the next parliament should the Conservatives win the next general election, but only after renegotiating the terms of the UK's relationship with the EU. In an article in the Times, Lord Lawson, a former Chancellor of the Exchequer, predicted that any changes achieved by David Cameron's attempts to renegotiate the terms of the UK's relationship with the EU would be inconsequential. And Cameron was asked about Lord Lawson's comments at a news conference after an international meeting about improving security in Somalia. What's that got to do with the EU, eh? But anyway, I'll put this up tonight for those who want to see how liars work. And he said this, he said the same stunt umpteen times, Cameron. Oh, we'll give you a referendum, then he cancels it, you see. But that's his job, isn't it? Because he's just a front man for the ones that paid him to get in there. And another one with Cameron, too, where he actually says there in a a talk about the future of Britain. And it's a little video on it. And he actually says, uh, he says, the Fuhrer, the Fuhrer of Britain, you know, her Fuhrer. I said, it's the future. And I tried to play it the second time there, and it's still there, but uh, it won't play for you now. I guess they caught on to it, talking about the Fuhrer of Britain. (laughs) Anyway, that's how they do it. Also, too, Israel, as you know, is, uh, this is the time now for the International Jewish Congress and so on. They're in Budapest making demands from all over the world have come to Budapest. And they're making their demands to go back home and lobby every government to change all the laws, you see. And again, they're really generally based in Israel. 
uh, the, the change to Budapest this year. But people are objecting too naturally because why should another country and, and its country's external supporters be forcing other countries to change their laws about things? Yeah. Anyway, Stephen Hawking's uh, is another uh, topic to do with this. Uh, joins academic uh, academic boycott of Israel, he says. And so Stephen Hawking is backing the academic boycott of Israel by pulling out of a conference hosted by Israeli President Shimon Peres in Jerusalem as a protest to Israel's treatment of Palestinians. Hawking, who is now 71, the world-renowned theoretical physicist, former Lucasian professor of mathematics at the University of Cambridge, has accepted an invitation to headline the fifth annual President's Conference facing tomorrow, it's called in June, which features major international personalities, attracts thousands of participants, and will celebrate uh, Perez's 90th birthday. Hawking is very poor health, but last week he wrote a brief letter to the Israel President to say he had changed his mind. He's not, he has not announced his decision publicly, but a statement published by the British Committee for the Universities of Palestine with Hawking's approval described it as his independent decision to respect the boycott based upon his knowledge of Palestine and on the unanimous advice of his own academic contacts here, it says. And he'll be slammed for that, no doubt, because you can't do that. You know, you can't do that. It'll be anti-something or other. And... Of course, everybody's probably heard a story about the Benghazi witness who described as the effort to lure more Americans into a trap, and he says he knew the attack was terrorism. The key Benghazi whistleblower testified Wednesday that his team knew the September 11th attack on the U.S. compound was terrorism, revealing that it appeared some of uh, were trying to, ha- to lure even more U.S. personnel into a separate ambush while the attack was still being carried out. Greg Hicks, the Deputy Chief of Mission in Libya, who became the top U.S. diplomat in the country after Ambassador Chris Stevens was killed, revealed new details as he and other whistleblowers delivered emotional testimony on Capitol Hill. He described how his diplomatic officials were trying to find out what happened to Stevens. They were receiving phone calls from supposed tipsters saying they knew where the ambassador was and urging Americans to come get him. Since we suspected we were being uh, baited into a trap, he said, adding he didn't want to send anybody into what he suspected was an ambush. He described how the Libyan Prime Minister later called him to tell him Stevens was in fact dead. He said, I think it's the saddest phone call I've had in my life. At the very beginning of the attack before Stevens went missing was later found dead. Hicks said his team believed it was terrorism. He said a regional security officer rushed into his villa saying, Greg Rigg, the consulate's under attack, and so on and so on. Anyway, this inquiry is still going on, and we've already had Hillary's statements about it the last time she stood and, and, and talked about it. She says, well, what does it matter now? It's all done. <laughs> that was her excuse for having a whole bunch of folks slaughtered. Uh, it's, it's very diplomatic of her to say it that way. And as his Britain lays out plans for arming the Syrian rebels, you know, Al-Qaeda, amidst fears of likely chemical weapons attacks. So they're, they're still, they're still, so they can't prove a chemical attack, uh, although the UN says that the rebels themselves probably used it against the Syrian government people. And, and, but they're definitely going to use it, the Syrian government against people, he says, you know. So that'll do, uh, maybe, maybe it's good enough to attack them and, and give them an excuse to arm them and finish off Syria. Because it's a must-be, understand. These things are not happening uh, day by day by chance. Uh, these things, it's, it's, this country was slated for eradication back in the 90s in the U.S. by the PNAC group, Project for New American Century. And after that, it's to be Iran. 
Mrs. Britain has proposed fully exempting Syria's national coalition from a European Union arms embargo, allowing rebels to be armed in order to protect Syrian civilians from a likely chemical weapons attack. And the confidential paper seen by the Daily Telegraph, very confidentially, sets out the case for two options allowing Britain and France to start supplying arms to the official Syrian opposition as early as June. Well, they've been doing it all along, folks, and the U.S. too. Uh, through Qatar, there was stories last year where the U.S. was dropping lots of armaments from, uh, from Qatar, and they're taking from Qatar right into uh, the rebels. The situation in Syria is deteriorating sharply with the likely use of chemical weapons. Oh, the weapons of mass destruction, eh? And the growth of extremism. How can you get more extreme than, than outsiders attacking a nation and slaughtering all the civilians? Funded by the West. I guess that's not extreme, eh? Maybe that's normal now, so it's not extreme. The conflict has entered an even more dangerous phase. It says we must consider all the options, including the ability to give further assistance to the moderate Syrian opposition. To the moderate Syrian opposition. <laughs> have, you, have you seen them gunning down the prisoners that they took? There's lots of videos up them they're doing it. They caught policemen and gunned them all, tied them all up and shot them all down. But they're very moderate, though. It's, it's great how government will spin anything, eh? They tell you that. Government will tell you, are you going to believe your own lying eyes? It says it will also protect civilians and save lives. No kidding. So arming them in the teeth to slaughter all the folk is going to save lives and help protect civilians. This is government. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix and the new normals happen all the time now. We're trained in new normals all the time. And of course, after watching the lockdown in Boston, that becomes a new normal. Because it's a, it's a reality TV show. Everybody's sitting watching it in Boston, in their homes, as we're told to stay in their homes, and it's a complete lockdown. It's like being in the movie, you see. And it says, a few days ago I noticed that this piece at FDL, Homeland Security Spending Overtakes the New Deal. This country has spent a jaw-dropping $791 billion on homeland security since 9-11. To give you a sense of just how big it is, Washington spent an inflation-adjusted $500 billion on the entire New Deal. Two indicators of the expanding security state that caught his attention, the author's attention in the last few days were Glenn Greenwald says, are all telephone calls recorded and accessible to the U.S. government? Of course they are. Good link on that too. I'll put up tonight, cutting through matrix.com. A massive lockdown in the, in the Madison, Wisconsin area. This is where the author lives. And it goes on to say there's a fugitive called Paris Poe whom the FBI wanted for parole violation and questioning in a murder investigation. So he's wanted for parole violation. Was spotted at a hotel in Madison, Wisconsin suburb. Poe had previously been in prison for armed robbery. A large area encompassing much of Vernona, Fitchburg and part of Madison, Wisconsin was then essentially locked down and swarmed with SWAT teams in a day-long manton. They locked down. A good part of Madison, Wisconsin. Reverse 9-11 calls were made to all landlines, about 30,000 homes, asking residents to lock their doors and remain inside. Police asked all the businesses in the area to close and lock their doors. Complete lockdown. 
All six schools in the area were placed on lockdown and surrounded by police. In Verona, no one could enter or exit the schools. In some classrooms, children were told to crouch under their desks for hours. In some schools, children were herded into the gym. Children were prohibited from using the bathroom since that would involve leaving the rooms and were told to urinate in buckets. Parents could not pick up their children since entry or exit was prohibited. Once the lockdown was ended, parents were required to present ID to take their children home. During the escalating panic, which they called, the police caused a panic, it was stated that Poe was on the FBI's most wanted list, but he was not. So they lied to the public. Late in the day, Poe was arrested far outside the lockdown area. He was apparently unarmed. He faces no charges in Wisconsin and will be transported back to Illinois. And I've got the links there to the rest of the story. Says, so does anyone else see something wrong with this picture? See, you're all trained into the new normals now. And this is really more of an exercise to see, make sure that it's working than any actual factual data to see that they're actually after a particular fella. Anyone would do. A, a parole violator. Right? Quite something. And they all complied like good little obedient citizens. Or children. When Big Brother talks to them. Isn't that sad, isn't it? But I guess they can, they can, the more they can do this, the more it becomes the normal. And they, they will do a lot of training exercises and use a lot of fake stories to make it all happen too. No doubt about it. This is all part of the big, big exercises, you see, to see how you behave yourselves. That's the world we live in, folks, is we're constantly trained, 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 trained. Remember the Soviet man was going to be created? Well, here's the new real super Soviet. It's all on the go right now. Everyone's trained to be exactly what their masters want them to be. From Hamish Marcel from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>